0: Thanks. <clears throat> All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Nathan. I'm happy that you're here. And I want to welcome you to Emmaus Church. If this is your first time, I hope you feel right at home. hope you'll be challenged and encouraged today. If you're on an aisle and there's a basket underneath your chair, would you pick it up and pass it down? And if you'd like, you can pull out one of these cards that's in the basket could fill it out. If you haven't given us your contact information and would like to, uh, we send out, almost every week, we send out a newsletter and um, just three things happening in our community during the week. Yeah, come on in. Plenty of room up here. You can come on in. Uh, so that's what we use the uh, contact information for, is just that we can communicate effectively as a community. Um, also, if you like, raise your hand. If you'd like a Bible. <laughs> if we'd like what? Yeah, if you like a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, I'm going to be... I'm painting with broad strokes in this series, and so um, I won't be in a a specific text for long, but the whole talk this morning is rooted in the Great Commandment, which is in Matthew 22. So if you'd like, raise your hand, get a Bible, and you can turn to page 692. 692 in these red Bibles is is Matthew chapter 22, which we'll refer to in a few minutes. All right, and then uh, lastly, if... um, If you haven't been with us for a while, we bought a theater downtown, and we're moving there in two months, and so we're excited about that, super excited, lots going on in regard to that, so our first Sunday there will be the first Sunday of April, and there will be two gatherings, uh, one at 9 and one at 11, so uh, more about that, but just in case you're traveling or something in the next few weeks, we won't be here too much longer, so um, we'll see you over there. All right, so we're, we're nearing the end of a series called Six Practices to Restore All Things. Six Practices to Restore All Things. Last week I asked the question, Who are we? Uh, who are we? Which is essentially a question about identity. And I hope that you'll listen to this sermon online at emmauscommunity.org if you weren't here, because um, it's a really important message for our community, uh, especially as we move into the culture in this season. Uh, The very short summary of the message last week is that we are created as creatures of glory. We are created and have become creatures of shame, tragically. We are ultimately creatures of hope. And the takeaway from last week's message or the practice of restoration, if we're going to be people who are involved in restoring broken things, what do we do? Well, the practice last week was this. We must insist on human dignity for all. We must insist On human dignity for all. In other words, the Christian understanding of humanity requires you to have a view of people that is very high. A view of human dignity that is very high. As a Christian, if as a Christian you view some people as worthless, you end up with a totally incoherent sense of identity. They don't go together. They just can't. You can't believe that somebody was created by God, yes, fallen and broken, but ultimately redeemed and possible, and they're a possible um, object of restoration, and still at the same time believe that they don't have value. It doesn't go together. So maybe you heard last week's sermon. Maybe you thought, man, that's really challenging to me, because this one person's super hard for me, or these kinds of people are really difficult for me. If, if you were like me, you probably felt like I could really do some work in this area. I really need to kind of integrate my faith with my views on this, on this area. That's the way I felt. So today I want to take that idea of identity and I want to push it to the next step. Okay, we're just going to push deeper into it today. And the question I want to ask today is how do we grow? So this is a question about formation. How do we become? And and this is why this kind of question is so important. Because we can identify who we are called to be as human beings. We can identify who we're called to be as Christians. But we need to understand how to become that person right? So lots of people can point to a picture of who they want to be and have no idea how to become that person, right? Oh, I want to be just like that. I want to have these qualities, these characteristics, these skills, whatever, and have no plan on how to get there. And so it's just critical that we understand how do we grow? How do we become? It's really easy to point out areas where we need to grow. Preachers are really good at that. (laughs) Um, But what we need is is some, some wisdom on how to grow. And here's the trick, the kind of healthy growth, the kind of formation that we're talking about, it happens intentionally. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen passively. It happens on purpose. It happens intentionally. It must be cultivated. Yesterday I was at baseball tryouts. Another baseball season is, uh, is beginning. Um, and I noticed two kinds of growth out there while I was stood and watched kids play for two or three hours. Uh, two kinds of growth. One is this. Uh, many of the young men that I watched play yesterday, I've known for eight years. I coached them when they were six, and now they're heading into high school. And um, several of them are bigger than me. They're taller than me. They're broader than me. There's these men-childs, right? And, and here's the thing. This is a kind of healthy growth that's from, from boy to teenager. That's healthy growth. Boy to teenager, and it just seems to happen automatically. They just seem to just become these, these young men. They didn't try to grow. They didn't work to become healthy teenagers. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine and commenting on his son who's 14 and looks like he's 20. The guy's just a beast. And he goes, yeah, there's a lot of Carl's Jr. in that kid. And I'm like, Carl's Jr.? The guy's eating junk food and he looks like a stud. You know, he's just this monster of a man. It's like automatic healthy growth. It doesn't go that way for long, does it? Right? Here's the other kind of growth that I noticed yesterday. I noticed a second kind of growth yesterday as I look at people that I've seen for 8, 10, 12 years. I see a lot of dads out there. Some of the dads are in great shape. Some of them are not. <laughs> Some of them are not doing so hot. And the guys who are in great shape, you know because you talk to them and you, you hear about it. They're being intentional about it. They're running, they're working out, they're eating well. They're not partying like they did when they were in college or whatever. They're not abusing their bodies. They're being intentional about staying healthy. Um, And there comes a point in life when healthy growth stops happening automatically. And it begins to require intentionality. That's my point. Uh, Sometimes healthy growth is almost almost automatic. Sometimes it just seems to happen like little boys become young men. It just happens. But most of the time, healthy growth requires intentionality. If you're growing in a way that is good for you, it's because you're doing so on purpose. The tide or the, the current is against you most of the time. Passivity, oh, it'll just happen automatically, that takes you in the wrong direction. It doesn't usually take you towards a formation direction that is good. So the question isn't, will you be formed? Of course you'll be formed. The question is, into what shape will you be formed? Into what person will you become? What kind of person will you be? Uh, We're not static creatures. We are constantly becoming. You're not the same person you were a year ago, right? You've changed. The question is, How have you changed? Are you healthier or are you less healthy? And I'm just using the physical because it's an easy example. What I'm really wanting to know is, are you more anxious or are you more at peace than you were a year ago? Are you more resolved in your trust in God or are you more, it's mine, it's mine, than you were a year ago? Where are you at? Where are you? Are you more afraid or are you more uh, full of joy than you were last year? how have you changed? In what directions have you become shaped? In our culture, to a large degree, we understand this concept of formation. We understand this idea that people change and people grow. We talk about this all the time. We're very aware of efforts to improve pursuits of perfection, strategies of growth. We sign up for diets and boot camps and short-term financial classes and all kinds of ways to develop, right? We're very into this. Our culture is very into this, especially in California, maybe more than in other places. Most of us understand that in order to be formed, you got to be intentional about it. And at some point in our life, we've tried intentionally to grow. So how do we do this? How do we grow? Um, This is something that we talk about a lot, but we usually slip into one or two major approaches to growth, which are very popular in our culture. Let me try to identify them for you. The first primary way that we seem to talk about growth in our culture is, that was the last slide, and it's the therapeutic approach. It's a therapeutic approach. Um, based largely on modern positive psychology, the therapeutic approach offers insights into past experiences, insights into current understanding. We want to know why we think the way we think. We want to know why we feel the way we feel. Now, the path in the therapeutic approach of formation, the path is self-knowledge. If I understand myself better, I'll grow, right? I'll change. It's all about i got to learn some more information about me. And the goal of the therapeutic approach, and again, broadly speaking here, I know these are big generalizations, but the goal of the therapeutic approach is happiness. It's happiness. So according to this model, you want to gain insights, into what adds or robs from your happiness, adds to your happiness or robs from your happiness, so that you can reject what doesn't help you, and so that you can you know, identify that's dragging me down, so I'm going to stop doing that. And then you want to focus on what lifts you up. You want to identify your desires, and then you want to take practical steps towards fulfilling those desires. This approach is huge in our culture. This is the way we think in our culture. Most Um, efforts to get people to change or grow or develop basically fall into this uh, therapeutic approach. You might think child psychologist, if you're kind of just looking for a a, a name or a a picture. Second approach, very different, also popular in our culture, is the technical approach. Very different, think like auto mechanic or something like that. This This is the approach that we learn in tech schools, in medical schools, in business schools, all kinds of practical training experiences. Where the goal is not happiness, according to this approach. The goal is something like effectiveness. And the path towards that goal is the acquiring of skills. Okay? So I took my my wife's van to the mechanic this week because the repair needed is way beyond my ability. So I took the van to somebody who has spent their whole life learning a set of skills that have, has ca- caused them to become proficient at a, a certain set of abilities, and, uh, and they've developed very well and so highly in that area that I pay them to do what, what they do. They never asked about my soul the whole time I was there. It wasn't concerned with my inner life, because that wasn't the kind of growth, and effect, uh, the growth or, or progress or formation that, that, they're do- that they're doing there. So you grow according to this model by learning how to do stuff better. Uh, You add to your toolbox. You become increasingly efficient at a certain set of skills. You learn how to see and solve problems. Okay, this is the technical approach. Now, both of these are really common approaches, and they're both really important. They're really, really important. There's a lot of good that comes from both of these approaches, especially when they're done well. Okay, we need insights into ourselves. That's the therapeutic. We need that we need, uh, we probably will benefit from a growing skill set. where we, we, It's very helpful just to learn how to do more things. That's the technical approach. And there's certainly space in the church for both of these approaches. There's certainly space in the church. There's certainly room in the church to grow in both of these ways. But here's the thing, my friends. It's critical that we understand that neither of these approaches is primarily theological. Neither one is primarily theological. In other words, neither one is based on a Christian understanding of identity and purpose. That's not, it's just, it's, it's just simply not the main focus of either one of those approaches. If we want to know how to grow in our identity as Christians, which is critical if we're going to be about restoration, right? This whole thing's about, like, are you called to this restoration thing? Of course we are. So if we're, if we want to know how to grow in our identity as Christians then we need to learn a theological approach to formation because it is different than these other two models, both in its path and in its goal, right? The goal of formation in the Christian tradition is love. That's the goal. Jesus reveals this very clearly when he is challenged. Now we can go to your Matthew chapter 22 if you'd like. Bottom half, left side, of page 692, looking at about verse 37, Jesus is challenged by an expert of the law to summarize the Old Testament. Because this is going to be a sign of his proficiency, of his, uh, his credibility as a rabbi. Summarize the law and the prophets. And Jesus says like this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that's where I get this real sense of assurance that the goal of being formed as a Christian is to love, love God and love other people. And the path of Christian formation has always been understood, it has always been understood as the practice of habits, the practice of habits, not just the development of insights and not just the acquiring of skills. Do you see the difference? But the practice of spiritual disciplines, they've traditionally been called, the path towards Christian spiritual formation has been to do these holy rituals, habits, disciplines, and to do them over and over and over again. The goal is love, and the way we get there is to practice a certain set of spiritual disciplines or holy habits. The things that we do shape us when we do them over and over and over and over and over and over again. This is big. This is is beautiful because it's beautiful for so many reasons. But one of them is anybody can grow to be a powerful Christian, a deeply formed Christian. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be skilled, right? It's challenging also for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons it's challenging is because it requires you to engage your whole life into this. You can't just, there is no silver bullet, there is no one insight that's going to change your life. We're talking about a formation. If you want to become this, the way to become this is to do a a specific set of things over and over and over and over again. I'll talk more about that at the end. Let me kind of break this down into some ways that is traditionally understood. Let me try to talk about this in, in six categories. The first one I'll take some time with, and then don't be worried because I'll, I'll do the others really fast. Um, so the first category is uh, practices of the mind. Uh, we engage pretty highly in practices of the mind here. I'm a learner-thinker type, and it just shapes what we do. Um, church is set up in our culture for learner-thinker types, practices of the mind. What are you talking about? I'm talking about things like studying and, and contemplation, uh, there's a whole host of ways that you can study the faith in this community. There are home groups that meet during the week, Bible studies. Sandy's on staff with us. She leads Strength Finder classes. Um, there are discipleship materials on the book table. out. Th- we have a book table, right? We study. We learn. This is what we do. We also, uh, practices of the mind involve more than just learning, though. It's, it's contemplation. And I'll, I'll spend a minute with this. What's, con- what's contemplation? It's focused concentration on a specific topic or truth or theme. Most of us, I think, have a pretty shallow, we live at a pretty shallow level intellectually. And I don't mean that we're stupid. I just mean that we don't take the time to really contemplate life, truth, God, ourself, Let me tell you a story. I read this story uh, several years ago. It stuck out to me of this aspiring science student. And uh, she applied to work with a famous marine biologist. And at one point early in the application, the student is brought a, a small dead fish in a shallow silver tray and told to make observations of the fish. And so the student confidently writes down the name of the fish and the species of the fish and the color of the fish and uh, several other observations, and within about two minutes, walks back up to the instructor with a short list of observations and says, here are my observations. The professor just looks over the list with disgust and says, try again, (laughs) right? So she gets the message. She goes back to her table, and this time she applies herself. She sits down. She makes every observation she can possibly think of about this She takes more than an hour, she covers several pieces of paper with all of these instructions and she brings her observations and this time she brings it back to the professor, who's this time neither disgusted nor especially impressed, and simply says, well, come back tomorrow. So the student feels generally encouraged, she's going to come back tomorrow, it'll be the next level of the application process. So she's surprised when she comes back the next day and she's sent back to the table where, waiting for her, is the same dead fish on the same shallow silver tray. And the same pile of paper that she turned in the day before, this time with a sticky note on top of it saying, what else? Right? So now it's on, right? And she's into it. And she's trying to see every possible thing she can about this stupid fish. She's counting the scales. She's observing any kind of irregularities. She literally can't think of anything else to note about this fish. But the instructor's gone. She doesn't want to just leave. It will be perceived as though she's quitting the process. So she just sits there and stares at this fish. And oh, she gets so angry at this darn fish. She just wants to kill the fish. But the fish is dead. So she's like, I just got to cut off the fish's head. You know, <gasps> cut off the fish's head, right? She realizes she's in a laboratory of a marine biologist. She finds a scalpel. She starts cutting this fish all up. She pulls the organs out. She weighs them. She's a whole nother level of observation now, right, Micah? She's just observing this. She gets microscopes. She starts analyzing tissue material. She finds a couple scales. She starts weighing things. All day, all the next day. Professor comes back and says, Are you done? And this time she says, Not yet. Not yet. She goes two more days, and at the end of four days, she turns in a notebook full of observations and she says, These are my. Observations. It's a whole nother level, right? The time in my life, the times in my life, uh, some of the most rich, fulfilling, rewarding times of spiritual development in my life have been when I've applied myself like that to the gospel, to the word. A couple years ago, I studied Acts, and I didn't just read Acts, I read several books about Acts, right? Or another way to do this is you find a word and you just look up everywhere in the Bible, use a commentary, they're everywhere, they're online, and look up every time in the Bible that that word appears. Right now, I'm studying the word house, the concept of house in, in, in Scripture, right? This is what we do when we, when we want to actually take this just basic information. See, here's what happened to that story of the student. She went from, I have a set of tasks that must be accomplished, which is sort of like, I got to read my Bible today, to a place of where she almost quit. She was so frustrated, but then She entered, it's like she crossed a line, and now her contemplation is being fueled by curiosity, because she's not just asking about the task to be accomplished, she's asking questions. Why is it like this? What is going on here? And that curiosity drives a whole other level of study or contemplation that is rewarded by discoveries, and it just starts to perpetuate itself. Right, and you don't have to be a learner or a book person to experience this. You simply have to apply yourself long enough that you become frustrated, and then curious, right? And then curious. So, um, that's uh, practices of the mind. We also another way of of, um, moving forward. Another practice here is practices of of the heart. Things like praying, speaking to God, listening to God, dedicating time to seeking God. Uh, inviting God to search your heart. <clears throat> um, my family, most days, will pray together before we go to sleep. And uh, often it's just a quick, brief prayer um, for our kids. Some probably two or three times a week, we'll, we'll read something together. And often we'll read prayer books. We'll use prayer books, written prayers, because at the end of the day, our minds are like vegetables. It's like, ah, I don't have anything to say. So you use a prayer book, which challenges you to think more highly and more, uh, more hopefully and, and, and more deeply about, about um, what you're praying. Here's a couple of examples. I love the Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey, if you're looking for examples. 30 Days of Prayers. Uh, really good resource. Um, There's another book that's really good that uses the seven prayer times during the day. Traditionally, there are seven prayer times. That's Phyllis Tickles. That's really her name. Divine Hours, it's called. Uh, If you're a guy, don't be dissuaded by the cover. It looks like a Victorian lacy. It's a great book. Um, It's definitely worth picking up. A few years ago, we taught on prayer, and at the end of the series, we put together a little book called Practical Prayer, and it's on the book table out here for a few bucks or whatever. Um, these, are, um, these are practices of the heart. Every year at Emmaus, we uh, have a men's retreat and a women's retreat. These are times where you get away and you're asking heart questions and you're, you're doing heart work. You're giving God space. The women's retreat this year is April 21st through 23rd. It's the weekend after Easter. Our Sunday worship gatherings include time and space to invite God into your heart. That's why we don't teach at the end and then leave. I teach at the beginning and then hopefully we have some time. Hopefully then we don't leave. Hopefully then we give ourselves some space to listen and to be with God. That's why we offer times of silence in our prayer for communion. Practices of the heart. These are things you've got to do over and over and over and over and over again to be shaped by them. Practices of speech. Things like silence. That's a practice of speech. Confession. Actually voicing your need for God. Um, song. We sing at the beginning, we sing at the end. Why do we do this? One of my friends said to me once, I like the teaching part, I just can't do the singing part of church. I just can't do it, right? And, and I, I, I was sort of sensitive to that, because in what other parts of our life do we all get together and sing? You know, maybe a birthday party every once in a while. It's not typically a part of group gatherings. Let's all sing together. But why do we do this as part of our Uh, part of our church gathering, our worship, because it's a formative practice, friends. Singing is a formative practice. It shapes you in a way that this speaking, listening thing right now isn't shaping you. Singing shapes you in different ways. If you don't sing, that forms you. If you sing the words but don't connect the words to your heart, that forms you in a different way, doesn't it? If you sing the words and invite your heart to believe them, then that forms you in, in even a third way. What if you allowed the spiritual discipline of singing to form you? What if you treated when Josh or Daryl or somebody challenges you, invites you to sing, what if you saw that kind of like an athletic trainer that says, okay, five wind sprints. You don't say, I don't feel like that today. You just don't. You do what he says. It doesn't matter. It's an irrelevant question. How do you feel, frankly? It's an irrelevant question right? Because you're here to be formed. And so, and we're singing, not because we're great singers, um, but we're singing to be formed and shaped by that. So here's the scary reality. You will either be formed into a person who can worship God with your voice, or you will be formed into a person who chooses not to. I mean, that's just the reality, is it not? Right? I'm just tired, I'm lazy. I know, I get it, I understand. Friends, lift up your hearts to the Lord. Let's sing to the Lord together, right? This is a massive part of formation all through the Psalms and the history of the Christian church. There are practices of body, like self-care, things like observing the Sabbath, resting. Did you know that's a command? That's a command to rest. Self-control is a practice of the body. Abstaining from sex or from any other number of good things for a season or as a way of life. Why? Because you're forming your body into a temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that's what Paul uses? That's the phrase Paul uses to refer to the body, a temple of the Holy Spirit. The idea is that the presence of God can live not just with you but within you. That's phenomenal. That's an amazing idea, that even our bodies can submit to God, that there's this spiritual-physical connection. There is a, We're not Gnostics. We're not people who believe that everything good is spiritual. We're incarnation people. We believe that the spiritual and the physical is connected. I know, have you ever had to fast for a medical procedure or something like that? Maybe you have a spiritual practice of fasting. I know a kid who fasted for several years, for three hours every day as part of a medical uh, experience. And it was a struggle for him. It was a struggle for him. And he would say this, I've got to tell my tummy, shh i got to tell my tummy, shh. And after three, two days, wouldn't have shaped him at all. After three years of doing this every day, he got to a place where few in our culture do get, and that is where they realize that the body is not about just being satisfied by itself. Right? I didn't say that very well. We, we, um, our body it should serve something besides itself is what I, want, what I mean to say. Our body was meant to serve something other than itself we rarely even touch on that because we are so quick to, ad- to satisfy whatever appetites our body has. Um, and practices of the body aren't just practices of abstinence, friends. They are practices of engagement, like we can worship God with our bodies. My wife and I uh, visited with a group of Dominican nuns a few years ago, and they invited us to pray with them. And we didn't know this, but Dominican, which is an order of the Catholic Church, they, they have, a, they have a, a, a way of spirituality that is very physical. And so when they prayed, to our surprise, they didn't just sit in the pews and hold still. They moved the whole time. They faced each other and prayed. They lifted their hands and they prayed. They knelt as they prayed. They lay down on their faces at one point and they prayed. It was a very uh, all-in, full-body kind of experience. Why? Because they understood that practices of the body form them. I don't feel like praying. It's 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 a little bit harder to be apathetic when you're raising your hands and praying at the same time. Your your body will call your spirit to where it needs to be. Right? It's hard to be um, um, what's the word like abs, uh, like angry? I can't think of the right word. It's hard to be rude or angry at God when you're kneeling before Him. Like right? this changes what's going on inside. So the physical there are physical ways that we can be formed, we can be shaped. Two more quick categories. A category of practices of friendship, uh, where we learn trust and transparency and dependency and intimacy. So many relational dynamics that accord to Christian belief and practice. We are part of a faith, friends, that's passed on relationally. Passed on relationally. We've got to be good at relationships. And the introverts go, oh, really? Right? But no, this is we need to grow in friendships. We need to grow in transparency and accountability. The whole faith happens like a friendship, like a friendship. And then finally, there are practices of service. You show up. You do the work. You cook the meal. You bring it. I've done it three times this week. We're going to do it again because that's what we do. We serve people because it communicates something that nothing else does, right? Well, everybody prayed for me, but he came to the hospital. Everybody was praying for me, which is good, she brought me a meal. It matters. It matters to the person it ma- being served. It matters to the person doing the service. The life is not my own. My food is not my own. My paycheck is not my own. My time is not my own. My truck is not my truck, right? It has been given to me so that I can serve people with it. That's what it is, right? Uh, acts of service. You set up a gym. Turn it into a church. Uh, you, you take care of kids, of a single parent. You give your money away. You fix the fence of a neighbor, you serve, then you rest and then you serve again. You just keep doing it. Why? Because it forms you. It forms you. At least that's why it's beneficial, because it shapes you. And there's all kinds of ways to serve in a church like ours. Here's the bottom line, friends. As Christians, we are not called to become whatever. (laughs) We are called to become like Christ, right? So if we're called to become something specific, it stands to reason that there is a specific path to get there. If I want to be a basketball player, there's a specific path I got to take to be a basketball player, right? If I want to enter the Marines, there's a very specific path I got to take in order to enter the Marines. If I want to be Christ-like, if I want to be like like Christ, then there's a specific path, right? Uh, If we're going to embrace this great commandment, love God, love people, not just as some sort of, oh, that's just this overarching call to the church, but no, as a personal command for you. Like, like Jeff, that's your job. Love God, love people. Teresa, that's your calling. Love God, B- big picture I realize. It'll, it'll get worked out in specific ways that are unique to you, Brian. But big picture calling, love God, love people. That's what you're called to do. Therefore, you better learn the way to become that person that can love God and love other people, right? And that way is through the practice of things that affect your mind, your heart, your speech, your body, your relationships with others, and your ability to serve people. Some of you have heard this kind of teaching so many times before, and the reality is, however, that the church in America today has almost completely lost a sense of shared practice. We've almost completely lost a sense of shared practice. So we simply must rededicate ourselves right here, right now, to be formed in the way of Jesus, to a Christian formation process that shapes us into people who love. How do we grow? We grow grow through specific, repeated spiritual practices. That's how it happens. Specific, repeated spiritual practices. Two more really quick thoughts. One Richard Foster wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline, all about what I'm talking about. Really, really good book. I recommend it. And he has this great quote. He says, spiritual formation has a local address. Spiritual formation has a local address. What he means there is that the tools that you need to grow as a Christian are right here, right now. They're right here, right now. You don't have to go to a fancy conference. You don't have to pay some high-end trainer. This happens at home in your house where you eat where you sleep, where you argue, where you love. That's where your soul is formed. That's where you're shaped. Friends, spiritual formation for Christians happens in the church. You gather with a bunch of people. You have almost nothing in common, except that you all know you need Jesus at some level. And so you come together because you need somebody to irritate you so that you can forgive somebody, so that you can share your money with somebody else, right? So you can serve somebody. That's why we come together. If we were all best friends, it wouldn't work. We have to be different enough, God help us, even in plastic, we got to be different enough that we can rub each other a little bit so that we can be sanctified, right, by this thing called community, right? We only need to have one thing in common, and that's Jesus. It doesn't matter if we agree on anything else. In fact, it's kind of good that we don't, because that shapes us, it enables this thing called local church community to actually be more than just another thing we, we take on and, and, and consume, um, like it's all about me, right? So local or uh, spiritual formation has a local address. Thankfully, thankfully it does. And then a final idea, I was reminded by uh, one of our board members a couple weeks ago of this really cool Jewish phrase called Takum alam. Um, it's translated repair the world or heal the world. Please hear me on this. It's so popular right now. Everybody's talking about healing the world, repairing the world. We use the phrase, restore all things. Lots of people from varying backgrounds agree, in other words, that this is what is needed, the repair of the world, the healing of the world, the restoring of all things. Here's the problem. Few people have a plan. Few people have an actual plan on how to do this, and fewer still follow a plan that will actually enable them to become the kind of people who can heal the world, right? We'll actually follow a plan who will, which will enable them to become the kind of people who can do the work of restoration. Oh, you're so helpful. You had this really brilliant insight, and you're, now you're sharing the insight with everybody. Thanks. That's great. But you know what I really need? I need a loving person who's full of wisdom, Because your insight, your little skill, it's got its place. Great. But we need to become people who are formed, who actually are holy, who actually are loving. That's what we need. If we're going to do restoration, then we don't just need a list of insights or a set of skills. If we're going to restore broken things, if we're really going to engage where the culture's broken, there's no shortcut. We must become people who do restoration. We must become people who are healers. Jesus' word, it's overused. It's almost lost its power. Don't let it. We have to become loving. We actually have to love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. I pray, Lord, for grace for each of us to engage with a new sense of purpose, um, a new sense of resolve, this well-worn path of the Christian faith that we would um, engage in these, in these ways that forever people have been shaped into godliness, into Christ-likeness. And I pray, Lord, that in a year, a year from now, when somebody recognizes in us a new skill, a new ability A way that we have grown. And somebody asks us, How did you do that? How did you grow? That whereas we may point to an insight, we may point out a new skill, because these might be helpful. I pray that mostly, and and I'm confident that, that most certainly it will be, I grew because I've been practicing. I grew because I've been practicing. And so give us the grace and the courage and the resolve and the discipline and I'll get up this morning and do it. I'll invite somebody to help me do it. um, Commitment to practice the way of Christ so that we would become like Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Great. Good. Would you stand up with me, friends?